0: Hey, welcome. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, I uh, was at a wedding last night and I apparently wanted it too much on the dance floor with my kids. So my back is just tweaking out this morning. So I'm going to sit this morning as we study so that I don't fall over as we study. So that's the that's the plan this morning. Um, but a good welcome. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors that's here at River City. Um, if you are new or visiting, I just want to say welcome. It is good to have you. Uh, just If there are any ways that we can serve you, help you get connected to the community here at River City. We would love to do that. Come find me or Aaron or any one of the other small group leaders or Becky or uh, we'd love to help you get connected. And so, um, uh, so that's uh, just where we're at this, this morning. Uh, we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 11. We're working our way through the gospel of Matthew this year together. Uh, and so uh, uh, what we, uh, where we've been in the last couple weeks, Jesus just got done teaching the disciples about the reality and the nature of, of life on mission with him. And he's been talking with them about their call to live as his ambassadors, but also what it looks like, that, what that life looks like, and the challenge of that. Uh, and he sent them off to go proclaim and to demonstrate uh, what the kingdom of God is and what it's like. And so, and so the beginning of our passage this morning, you'll see, and after Jesus had finished saying these things... That's the these things. That's the, that's the these things that Jesus was talking about. So, Now, um, before, before we get rolling this morning, I think it's just important to let you know, uh, I pretty much scrapped most of what I had prepped at about 10 o'clock last night, and then I promptly started feeling sick. Uh, so uh, buckle up this morning. It's bound to be interesting. It'll either be really amazing because it's totally God or really terrible because it's totally me. Uh, but in either case, it should be entertaining, right? So let me pray, and we'll dive into our study in God's Word this morning. Jesus, we are really grateful for you. God, we are so thankful for your Word that you would give it to us and keep it for us so that we might know you and love you and follow you. And God, we just humbly ask this morning as we study that that you would speak to us through your Word. God, I don't have what we need in and of myself. God, I need you. I need your Spirit to fill me so that I might teach and preach with just what is right, but also with power. God, and so we need you as well to make our hearts able to respond to you and, and all that you are doing in us. And so, God, we just come uh, under the, we want, we want to come under the authority of your word this morning. And so we come together saying that we need you, God, we need you to be molding and shaping us. And so we just come with a humble dependence on you, God, this morning. And so, God, we pray that you'd make much of yourself as we study your word, that you'd cause us to love you and enjoy you and treasure you all the more for having seen you and been with you in your word this morning. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 11 this morning, the whole chapter here. So we're beginning in verse 1. So after Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And what did you go out to see in the wilderness, a reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. For truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of, of heaven has been subject to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and laws prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to, who was to come. Whoever has ears, let whoever has ears, let them hear. And to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We have played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. And we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he is a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom will be proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. For woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, then, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearful for Tyre and Sidon on that day of judgment than for you, in you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that there will, be more, there will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do, It's the word of the Lord. You see, our passage this morning, it, it ends with this wonderful invitation from Jesus to come and find a rest in him. You see, rest is something that we all need. Our, our need for rest, it traces its, its origins back to, uh, back to Genesis 2, where we see that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. Because we're made as God's image bearers, we need rest. But rest isn't just something that we need, it's something we all want. It's not like broccoli, like you know you need broccoli and the nutrients in there, you don't want that. Rest, you actually, you know that you need it, but you want rest. And whether it's a physical rest, whether it's a rest from work or responsibility or just a crying infant, or whether it is emotional rest from worry or grief or doubt or regret or or sadness or fear or even despair. You see, rest is something we all long for. And rest is something that we all seek. And whether it's by hitting the snooze button a few extra times in the morning or going on vacation or just by distracting ourselves with Netflix or our careers or our families or our hobbies. You see, rest is something we are all seeking. But invariably what we find, always at the end of our search for rest, what we find is that when we get the, when, when Whatever rest we find in the pursuit of those things, it is at best temporary and fleeting. And at worst, it is just a new burden full of guilt and shame. See, what's going to happen this morning, though, as we study in Matthew chapter 11, what we're going to see is that Jesus is offering us the rest that we really want more than that, he's offering us the rest that we really need. And as we, as we study Jesus' words this morning and the offer of rest that he has for us, we're going to see three things. And we're going to see what, what it is, what is the rest that Jesus offers us, second, what keeps us from it, and lastly, how to get it. So what is, what keeps us from it, and how to get it. So first, this morning, what kind of rest is Jesus offering us in his word Well, in verse 28, we see Jesus says this way, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, the rest that Jesus is offering us is not, is not primarily a physical rest or an emotional rest. It is a spiritual rest. Jesus says, you'll find rest for your soul. He's talking about a soul-level rest. You see, the reason for us that all of the other forms of rest that we try to pursue, they always let us down or they always never seem to fulfill in the ways that we want them to fulfill or they, they never seem to be enough, is because what we're looking for in all those other forms of rest is the rest under the rest. See, we're looking for a soul-level rest, and until you get, until you have a soul-level rest, you will never have a physical or emotional rest that will ever be enough. Unless you have a soul-level rest, you will never have a physical or emotional rest that you will find sufficient or enough. You see, and there's only one place that you can get that kind of rest. In verse 28 and 29, Jesus says again, "Come to me, all who are weary and burdened." He says, "I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me." You see, the one place we find a soul level rest is in the person and the work of Jesus. I've been having some really good conversations with a friend of mine over the course of the past couple of years, and. And for him, one of the things that he wrestles with uh, very, very very, clearly is a, a sense of identity and a sense of meaning in his life. And he is searching for that. And there is a angst that is there in his heart. I see it so often. There is a longing for meaning. There is a longing for purpose. There is a longing for identity. And what happens is that gets worked out in this sense of unrest that is always there. Or this pursuit of a distraction from that feeling. And as soon as the distraction is done, it returns again and again. Just this week, I got to have a conversation with my friend, and I was able to just, I felt like God was just able to bring clarity to my owner as I was talking with him, and I just challenged him, and I just said, you know, what you are looking for, that identity, that sense of meaning, that sense of purpose that you are striving for and longing for, that you feel like you just don't have, that you cannot get, that thing is something you will only find in Jesus. You see, you can look for it in a career, you can look for it in a family, you can look for it in a pursuit of enjoyment or, or pleasure, you can look for it in all those things, and you might find it for a glimpse and for a moment, but it will always leave you, it will always leave you wanting more, and it will always be insufficient to fulfill the thing you are looking for. And I said, the one thing that you are looking for that cannot leave you that cannot let you down, that it gives you the thing that your soul is looking for, the rest that you are so desperate to find, the one place that you will find that is in the person and the work of Jesus. You see, Jesus offers us a soul-level rest, and he is the one place in which that can be found. But you need to hear this as well. The rest that Jesus offers us is not an escape, It's not an escape from work. It's not an escape from stress. It's not an escape from injustice or suffering. Instead, the rest that Jesus offers us is a new way of living, one in which which we can bear the weight of those things. You see, verse 29, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart. Verse 30, he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see that word yoke? It it's a term for a piece of farming equipment. It's a kind of a wooden collar that ran across the shoulders of, of, two, of a pair of oxen. And what happened is it enabled them to pull enormous weights that they couldn't pull on their own or that they, they couldn't even pull just with simple strapping. And this this yoke is a special tool that, that brought these two oxen together in a way that they could bear a weight that they could never bear on their own. See, and Jesus is not saying that the rest he offers is an escape from work, or an escape from hardship, or an escape from stress. Instead, what Jesus is saying is that the rest that he's offering is the thing that will enable you to bear the weight of those things instead of being crushed and consumed by them. You see, because what Jesus is saying is he's saying, yoke yourself to me. I will bear the weight that you cannot carry on your own. You see, he is the one, when we yoke ourselves to him, he is the one who is bearing the weight. And with him we can carry weights that we could never carry on our own. You see, and this leads to a life and a freedom and a joy in the midst of the burdens of life, in the midst of the weights of life, in the midst of the difficult things of life that you could never bear on your own. You see, the invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to a life that only has good things in it. It's an invitation to a life that endures all things and is able to find joy and life in the midst of every situation. You see, but the honest truth is that even if we know that Jesus is offering the rest that we need, the truth is is that so often we don't go to him for it. We don't go to him for the rest that we need. Even if we know that he is offering the rest that we are longing for, we don't come to him for it. And so the question is why? I think there's three things that we see in our passage this morning that, that keep us from coming to Jesus for the rest that we need. And the first thing is just doubt. See, the passage opens with uh, John the Baptist, and he's sending a few of his followers to ask Jesus a question. And the question that John wants his followers to ask Jesus is just simply this. Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the king that God promised would come to usher in his kingdom on earth? And if you remember back to the first time we met John the Baptist back in Matthew chapter 3, this kind of seems pretty surprising because he seemed real sure that Jesus was the king, that Jesus was the Messiah. He seemed really convinced. In, in Matthew 3, he was telling everybody that Jesus was the Messiah. He even baptizes Jesus, and the voice of God, like, rings down from heaven. There's, like, this incredible experience, and God says, This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. And so the question is, now we see him here, and he is not so sure. And the question is, Why? What what could shake John's confidence? Well, John he sent some of his disciples because he was in prison. He doesn't go himself. He sends some disciples because he is in prison. In Luke 3, we see that we learn that he is in prison because he called out King Herod for his adulterous marriage to his brother's wife and for a ton of other horrific things that Herod had done. And, and Herod's dungeons were notoriously brutal places to be. King Herod was notoriously just. Just evil. And so John is sitting in prison and he is suffering. He's awaiting his death and he is thinking, what happened? The Messiah was supposed to come and he was supposed to bring bring life and blessing for those who repented and judgment on those who didn't. And that is not what seems to be happening. In, In fact, it feels like the opposite thing is happening for John. John is suffering in prison where all those who rejected his call to repentance seem to be flourishing and doing just fine. You see, John's expectations about the Messiah seem to be wildly unmet. And I can only imagine the weight of that on his heart as he is sitting in prison. Did I miss something? Was was everything that I said was everything I did wrong? Is there, is there any hope? Was all that just a waste of time? He says the weight of that for him. You see, I think we all encounter situations in life in which the way that Jesus is working in our lives does not match our expectations. We think, how could God allow this sickness or this failure or this suffering or this injustice in my life or in the world that we see? And you see, suffering, it has this unique way of, of bringing the doubts that we have to the surface. Doubts about God's goodness or his faithfulness or even his, even his existence. But John's humble doubt and Jesus' gracious response should encourage us this morning. Verse 11, Jesus responds to him. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is saying, John is the greatest human ever. And what we see is that he is full of doubt. The disciples at the end of Matthew 28 Jesus has shown them his nail-pierced hands. He has eaten with them. He has shown them his risen body. And as he is rising back up to heaven, it says some believed and some doubted. You see, if Jesus could handle John's doubt, if he could handle the doubt and the uncertainty of the disciples, you need to hear this. He can handle yours. He can handle the weight of your doubt, so bring it to him. Be honest with him about the things you just don't trust him with. Things you are unsure. The ways that he does not seem to meet your expectations. Ask him to show you. That's what John does. What we see is that Jesus responds in a way that that is gentle to John. You see, when life is not going the way that we expected, that, that we are tempted to believe that Jesus has let us down, or that he might not even be the one that we are looking for in the beginning, then we're invited to hear and remember the words that Jesus is saying to John here. It's a gracious and gentle reminder that Jesus gives to John. He's saying, look, I am the Messiah. Look at the evidence again. You see, the blind are given sight, and the sick are healed, and the dead are raised. You see, no one else could do the things that I have done. You can be confident that you have put your trust in the right one. And I have come. I have come to bring about my kingdom, but I am doing it in a way that you do not expect. A better way. And you can trust me, even though this way feels hard, you can rest from the burden of your doubt. The rest I am offering you is freedom in that. Trust me, you can hope in me. I'm the one you are looking for. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, When we look at the words of Jesus, what we see is that there are really only three options, that Jesus really is a liar, that he he was a lunatic, or he really is Lord. He is a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is Lord. And the evidence that we have and the testimony about those who gave their lives to live and die for him would strongly suggest that he is indeed the one who he said he was. That he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the promised king, that he is Lord. The one who rules and reigns over all things. And that we can trust him even when life does not make sense. You see, Jesus' life and ministry, they did not make sense to John. And if he was still alive when Jesus hung on the cross, I can probably bet that that would not have made sense to him either. Paul talks about the cross as foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block for the Jews. Jesus did not match anyone's expectations, but what he accomplished was more than what we, anyone could have imagined. You see, because Jesus did not come to, to just bring political freedom from Rome for the Jewish people. No, Jesus came to bring ultimate freedom from the true enemy of Satan and sin and death. You see, Jesus, while he does not meet our expectations or match them, Jesus is worth trusting. And he meets us in the midst of our doubts with a proof about who he is and with a gift that is far greater than what we could ever long for. You see, but doubt in the midst of our unmet expectations and even suffering isn't the only thing that, that keeps us from finding, rest, that, finding the rest that Jesus is offering us. You see, as John's disciples leave, Jesus lay, he lays into the crowd. And his words for them are very different than the, than the gentle words that he has for John. Because he knows John's heart, and he knows their heart as well. You see, while John's doubt was characterized by a humble questioning... What characterized the unbelief of the crowds is a prideful rejection. You see, verse 16 reads this. To what can we compare this generation? They're like a children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played a pipe for you, and you didn't dance. And we sang a dirge for you, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he's a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say he is just a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Verse 21. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For in the, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in inside, and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that John came preaching repentance, and you rejected him, and I came preaching grace, and you rejected me. Your, your unbelief and your rejection of the, the message of the gospel, it's not because of a lack of evidence. I did countless miracles in front of you and it's not about who brings the message or how that message is brought or how convincingly it is presented. He says, you are like children who do not who who say they don't like the song, but the real problem is that it's not their song. You're like little children who refuse to play the game unless it is your idea. You see, Jesus is saying is that for some, what is underneath our unbelief is not a lack of evidence or genuine doubt. It is really an arrogant pride. Tim Keller so wisely notes, he says, Unbelief is not just the absence of faith. It is the presence of a force in the heart that makes it recoil at the message of Jesus. It's the presence of pride and self-sufficiency in our hearts. He goes on to say, we flatter ourselves to say that the lack of evidence is the real reason we don't believe or trust or live in light of Jesus, but Jesus did the miraculous and people still not believe, and until we realize that the opposing force of pride in our hearts is the thing that is keeping us from rest, we will never be able to respond to Jesus and receive the rest that he is offering us. You see, the honest truth is that we don't want to admit our insufficiencies. We don't want to admit our need for help. We don't want to admit our our inability to fix ourselves and to save ourselves and to make ourselves presentable. And see, it's simply a weight that we cannot bear. But Jesus has come to offer us a rest from our prideful arrogance and our self-sufficiency. And so often what is keeping us from finding the rest that Jesus offers is not real doubt, it's pride and it's arrogance. It's an unwillingness to admit our need for him and our ability to, and our inability to fix ourselves. You see, and that leads us to the third thing that we see in our passage that keeps us from finding rest in Jesus, and it's religion. You see, that word yoke, we talked about it earlier, it's that farming implement that, that enables uh, two oxen to bear an incredible burden. You see, it was also that word yoke was also commonly used as a metaphor in Judaism for for the law. Jewish rabbis they would often speak about taking on the yoke of the law, and under their direction, what we saw is that the law became this unbearable burden and this crushingly heavy weight. You see and that's what is true of religion. You see, religion is all about religion keeps us from finding the rest that we need in Jesus because religion fundamentally is all about what we do to get to God. It's all about what we do to earn or deserve or merit or keep our right relationship with God. You see, religion is always motivated by fear. It's always in the end and it always results in selfish pride. Or, self, or it results in self-righteous pride or it results in despair because you feel like you have done enough or you are better than X, Y, and Z and that you do deserve whatever or that you haven't done enough and that you aren't better than X, Y, or Z and that you do not deserve. And you see, and neither one of those things give you the rest that your soul longs for. They're just a new burden. And see, so the question is, how do we get the rest for our souls? How do we get the rest under the rest that Jesus offers? See, doubt says, no enough. You can rest once you're convinced. Pride says, be enough. You can rest because you are enough, even though you're not. Religion says do enough. You can rest when you can be sure that you have done enough. But the gospel does not say do. The gospel says come. The truth is that we will never know enough or be enough or or do enough to be able to rest. But Jesus, the king of the universe, has known all things. And he is enough. And his work on the cross was enough. You see, Jesus has so that you and I, we can find rest in him. That's why Jesus says in verse 28, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, I have. You are looking for more than that. I am the rest you are looking for You see on the cross what we see is that jesus bore the weight of our sin and our guilt and the judgment The just judgment of our rebellious hearts against god that our sin is It is a weight that we could not carry a weight that we could not bear And so what we see is that jesus bears it for us you see, a lot of times people look on Christianity as they see Jesus as just a crutch. And the truth is, is that Jesus is the stretcher because our legs are crushed. There's no crutch that's going to help you. You see, it's Jesus' work on our behalf entirely that makes us able to be right with God. Hebrews 1 tells us that after making purification for our sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the reason he sat down is because his work was finished and his work was enough. You see, Jesus' work on our behalf, it secures for us the soul level rest that we are so deeply longing for. And by faith in him, we are made right with God. It is not something we could ever earn. It is not something we will ever deserve. And it is not something that we can mess up. You need to hear this. That's why you can He is why you can rest. And so Jesus says, come to me, that you might have the rest your soul is longing for. So the question is how? What does it mean to come to him? I think what we see is, in the passage, what we see is what it means. To come to Jesus means to come to him in a humble and repentant surrender. See, John, he comes to Jesus in humility, right? He is is curious, and he says, I just, I don't know. Are you the one, or should I look for another? Jesus meets him in his humility, and he says, I am the one you are looking for. You don't have to look any further. Let me show you who I am. Let me remind you who I am. You see, in what... And the second thing what we see is what's keeping the crowds from from choosing to give themselves to Jesus. It says that they refused to repent. You see, their hearts were full of a selfish pride and an unwillingness to admit their own need for Jesus. He did not meet their expectations. He did not come what they wanted. But more than anything, what Jesus is saying is that the, the way to right relationship with God is not on your terms. It's on mine. You see, to come to Jesus in a humble, repentant surrender means to to be honest with God and say, Jesus, I am not king. I have lived as though I am, but I am not. You are king, and I have rebelled against your your just and righteous rule and reign, and I don't deserve anything from you, God, other than judgment, and I throw myself on the altar of your grace, and I trust in your work on my behalf to give me the kind of rest that I could never earn or could never get on my own or could never keep if I could even get it somehow." And it says, it's a kind of humble, repentant surrender that says, Jesus, I yoke myself to you wherever you go. I will, I will follow. You see, the, the one place that the rest that we are longing for can be found is in the person and the work of Jesus. And the way that we receive the rest he offers is to come to him in a humble and repentant surrender. Say, Jesus, I am not enough on my own, but what I believe is that you are enough for me. Your work is enough to make me right with God. Your work is enough so that I might have a rest and that in the, in the hardship of life, I might live a life of rest in you. See, every week we take communion what we're doing when we take communion is that we are remembering and we are celebrating what Jesus has done and who we are in him. You see, the bread and the drink, they remind us of Jesus' body and his blood, which were broken and were shed for us. As he lived the life that we should have lived. As he died the death that we should have died for our mutinous, rebellious hearts. You see, in paying the penalty that he could only pay so that we could be forgiven and accepted and made right with God. And it's through a humble and repentant surrender in faith that we find right relationship with him. You see, what we're doing when we take communion is we are remembering and we're proclaiming the gospel. We're reminding ourselves and we are reminding one another about who Jesus is and all that he has done and about the rest that he has secured for us by his body and his blood given for us. Communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It does not change your status or your standing with him. It's a chance to remember. Or maybe this morning for you, it's a chance to receive for the first time the soul level rest that Jesus offers to you, that his work secures on your behalf. You don't need to be a member here to take communion. You just need to belong to Jesus or this morning to choose to humbly surrender and repent to him. There are two tables in the back, one on the left and one on the right. During our time of, of worship, go back as you feel led and take communion and do it as a remembrance and a celebration of all that Jesus has done for you about the rest that his body and his blood have secured for you. Or this morning, receive it for the first time as the rest you are looking for. By faith in him, come to him. And as we close this morning, I would just implore you, talk with God. You see, the rest that Jesus offers is one that is revealed, not earned. Verse 25 says it this way. At this time, Jesus At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, it was your pleasure to do so. Verse 27. For no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son has chosen to reveal Him to. Ask Jesus. Ask Him to show you the rest that you are longing for, that He has for you. You're never going to see it, and you will never find it, unless He shows it to you. So ask Him. As we come, what is keeping you from finding or living in light of the rest that Jesus has secured for you? Ask him to empower you to trust him. Ask him to empower you to give him your doubt, to give him your pride, to give him your fear so that you might find the rest under the rest that your soul is longing for and that empowers you to live for him. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning, God, and we are so grateful for your word and for the truth of the, of the rest that you offer us. King Jesus, we come and we say, we are not enough on our own. God, and we admit our doubt. God, we admit all the ways that you do not match our expectations of what you would, uh, how you would work or what you would do. God, we, we come and we want to admit our prideful self-sufficiency and our refusal to admit our need for you. Now we want to come to admit all the ways that we have sought to, we have sought to make ourselves right with you through religion instead of through faith in you. And Jesus, we come and we say, we need the rest that only you can give us. And so, Jesus, I pray this morning by your grace that you might reveal to us the rest we're longing for. That you might cause it to be good news to our hearts. That you might that you might enable us to live in light of the rest that you have secured for us. God, I pray for those who are here this morning who have not yet found rest in you, Jesus, that this morning that they would come. God, in a humble and repentant surrender to you. God, admitting their need for you, admitting that you are the only place that the rest their souls are looking for can be found and giving themselves to you so that they might go wherever you lead. King Jesus, we need the rest you offer. Help us by your spirit to receive it and to live in light of it. God, for our good, but more than anything, for your great glory, we pray.